Well, confidence. Uh, we all need it for lots of things. Uh, need confidence when you're driving your car. You need uh, confidence if you're getting ready for a big game of sport. Uh, it probably wouldn't hurt when you're about to perform brain surgery. Um, or if you're going to a party where you don't know anyone there. Uh, you need confidence in that sort of situation. But when people have too much confidence, uh, we tend to call those people full of themselves, don't we? Uh, the golfer that's about to embark on the British Open, one of the toughest tournaments in the world. And he's at a press conference and he says, well, I think I'm going to be pretty hard to beat this year. Uh, we'd sort of, we'd think he was arrogant, wouldn't we? Uh, full of himself. Now, as Christians, we are to have bucket loads of, of confidence. Our lives are saturated with this stuff. I mean, we talk to God himself. You can't talk to John Howard or George Bush any old time you want to. You've, you've got to get cleared. You've got to um, go through their secretary, through their monitor, all sorts of... You just can't rock up and talk to them. As Christians, we claim to be able to talk to the one who made everything, and we reckon we can talk to him any time. More than that, we don't just claim to do it. We do talk. We do talk to the Lord of heaven and earth as if he was our dad, because he is our heavenly father. Anytime we want to, we've got the ear of God and we can talk to him about anything. He doesn't mind if you talk to him about your stubbed toe. He loves us to ask him for his kingdom to come. We confidently talk to God. Now this morning we're starting a three-week series on Genesis 25 to 50. Uh, earlier in the year we looked at chapters 12 to 25 and in those chapters we see God's plans and purposes to bless his creation again. Remember he made it and it was good but it got spoilt. Sin came and it was under God's curse. But God's promise was to reverse all that and that he would again bless his world, bless his people. And so he started with Abraham and in chapter 12 he begins by making this extraordinary promise that through Abraham's family all peoples would be blessed. Now, in chapter 25, which is where we're starting this morning, we pick up the action just after Abraham's died. And so with Abraham gone, we now look to Isaac because he's the one who will inherit the promise. But the spotlight quickly turns to Isaac's twin sons. Almost immediately, our attention is drawn to the twins, Esau and Jacob. And the burning question in chapters 25 to 27 is out of these two, out of Esau and Jacob, who gets God's promise of blessing and why? Who will it be, Esau or Jacob? And the answer that we're given in chapters 25 to 27 teaches us of God's awesome grace, that God's people are God's people because God made them his people. And this truth should fill us with confidence, confidence in all sorts of things. So back to Esau and Jacob and who got the blessing. And the first thing we learn is that getting God's blessing, that's up to God. It's his choice. It has nothing to do with the people involved. Flick back to chapter 25 and verse 21. Chapter 25 and verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. 
what we're seeing here is God's choice of which of the twins will inherit the blessing. The older will serve the younger. Now, while they're in Rebecca's womb, God picked out the younger one. It's going to be Jacob that is going to get God's blessing because God chose him even before he was born. It's a little bit like being born into a royal family. Uh, It's a matter of being born into the right family in the right order if you're going to be the successor to the throne. It's picked out before you're born. You just happen to be born into the right family at the right time. It's not because you're special. You're just born in the right place. Well, here, before he was born, Jacob was singled out as the one to inherit God's promises. He wasn't the firstborn, so God's sort of turning things a little bit upside down here. But before he was born, God had chosen him. Now, why did God choose Jacob and not Esau? Uh, Did God choose Jacob because he knew that Esau wouldn't be interested in him, that Esau would treat the promises of God with contempt, whereas Jacob, well, he would honour God with all that he had. Is that why God chose Jacob? Well, Esau certainly shows himself to despise the promises of God. Immediately after we're told of their birth, uh, we jump to a scene where the boys have grown up. Uh, Esau's been out in the field, uh, presumably hunting, and he comes back without success. He comes home, he's famished, and Jacob's been cooking some lentil stew. And so Esau asks for some. Uh, uh, Verse 29. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That's why I was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And what a loser. What a loser. That he would choose a bowl of soup over his birthright. But do you think Esau's been the only one who's uh, been so foolish? Uh, It'd be like wanting your dream home more than wanting to inherit eternal life. It'd be like spurning Jesus, because that will disrupt because he would disrupt your family life. It would be like rejecting Jesus because you're happy with life at the moment and you'll get back to him when it's a little bit more convenient. We're talking about the promises of God, of life, blessing, forgiveness, and literally what on earth could be more important than that? So maybe God did choose Jacob because he knew Esau would turn out to be a loser. Maybe, maybe not. Keep that thought, we'll get back to it. But in order to remind us of what's at stake here, the writer turns our attention back to Isaac. Chapter 26 records an episode in the life of Isaac where God spells out the promises to him. Up to now in Genesis, only Abraham's been given the promises. Here, Isaac gets them as well. And the point of it is to show us what's at stake with Esau and Jacob. We're being reminded of what Esau's despising and what Jacob's being chosen for. And it's big, 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 big bickies. Now, as we read chapter 26, uh, we get that feeling of deja vu. Uh, You know, when you're reading a novel in bits and pieces 
and uh, you sort of read it every now and again. You haven't put a bookmark in. It's been a week since you've read the book and you pick it up and you start reading and you just get that feeling, man, haven't I read all this before? Well, here in chapter 26, that's exactly what happens. So much of what happens to Isaac is an exact repeat of what's already happened to his dad, Abraham, back in earlier chapters. Uh, There's at least eight similarities. Uh, Both Abraham and Isaac, they're caught in a famine, so they've got to go to a different land. Uh, This one's a brilliant one. Uh, Husbands, don't try this. They both pass their wife off as their sister. That's pretty brilliant. Uh, They're both rebuked by a Philistine king. They both prosper while they're living among the nations. The people around them become jealous of their prosperity, so fights break out. A foreign king recognizes that God is with them. Both Abraham and Isaac respond to God by building an altar. And in amongst it all, both of them have God repeat his promises to them. It's like father, like son. And the most important thing of all is that the promises that God gave Abraham are the same promises that God gave Isaac, which means that they're the same gigantic promises that Jacob and Esau are hovering around. Let's be reminded of what's at stake. Have a look at chapter 26 and verse 2. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I'll be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I'll give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. These are the massive promises of God of land and people and blessing and not just to Isaac but to all the peoples of the earth. This is no normal family inheritance. This is to be the family that will affect the destiny of the world. You can forget Rupert Murdoch's billions. This is life and blessing from God himself. This is what Jacob was chosen for. This is what Esau despised. And this is what Jacob got. Although Jacob resorted to deception to get them. After being reminded of the majesty of God's promises, we're taken forward to the scene where Jacob gets the blessing. Isaac's old. He can't see. He's near death. And he wants to give his blessing to Esau, his favourite son. And so he tells Esau, go out, hunt some game, cook it up, and then we'll get together, have a meal, and I'll give you my blessing. However, Rebecca. Isaac's wife overhears the conversation and that's when the fun begins. You see, Rebecca, she loves Jacob more than Esau and so she wants Jacob to get the blessing. And so she tells Jacob, look, while Esau's out in the field, you just go to our flocks, grab a goat, bring it to me, I'll cook it up in a nice way that your dad likes it and then you can give it to him and you can get the blessing. That's the start of something special, isn't it? You've got a mum, a wife going behind her husband's back. She's grabbing one of their sons into all the mess. It's not just over who gets to eat porridge in the morning. This is over the family inheritance, the inheritance of God's promises. Now, mum's suggestion just seems a little bit outrageous to Jacob, and so he protests a little to Rebecca, but not because he disagrees with her, because he's a scaredy cat. He's afraid of getting caught. Have a look at chapter 27 and verse 11. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? 
I would appear to be tricking him and bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. So the plot is hatched. Preparations are made. They've got the food. They just now need to make Jacob feel like Esau. Because remember, Isaac's blind at this stage, so it doesn't matter that Jacob doesn't look like Esau, but Esau's a hairy man, and Isaac's a man of smooth skin. Uh, sorry, Jacob's a man of smooth skin. So they put some of Esau's clothes on Jacob. They cover his hands and his neck with goat skins. And the only thing left is to see if they can fool Isaac, and so Jacob can get the blessing. And they've got to do it before Esau gets back. And you can just imagine Jacob, can't you, shuffling towards his dad, uh, nervous about getting caught. Uh, you can see Rebecca pushing him forward, uh, but nervous about Esau coming back too soon. And so Jacob goes to Isaac and he lies. Over and over again, he lies to his dad. Verse 18. He went to his father and said, My father? Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Lie number one. I have done as you told me. Lie number two. Please sit up and eat some of my game so you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Lie number three. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob. But the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy, like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Lie number four. But he pulled it off. Jacob fooled his dad, and so he got the blessing. Jacob is the one who, will, who, who has inherited the promises of God. And now Esau comes in. Just after the treachery has been completed and both Isaac and Esau, they're distraught, but there's nothing that can be done now. Jacob has the blessing and there's nothing, there's no way it can be revoked. So back to our question. Why did God choose Jacob? Or did God choose him because he knew that Esau would turn out bad and Jacob would turn out good? Well, from what we've seen, it clearly wasn't because Jacob would turn... Jacob turned out good. He's deceptive, he's cunning, he's treacherous. No, God chose Jacob because God chose Jacob. It had nothing to do with the boys. It had nothing to do with what they'd done or what they would do. God simply chose Jacob, even before he was born, before he'd even had a chance to do anything good or bad. And despite Jacob's sin, God claimed Jacob as his own. And so the answer to the question, who got the blessing and why... Well, the answer is Jacob, because of God. Jacob was chosen by God despite his sin. Now, what's all this have to do with you and me? Stacks. Uh, the question we had with Esau and Jacob is who got the blessing and why? The question we have now is who gets God's blessing and why? Because when we come to the New Testament, we see that God deals with us the same way that he dealt with Jacob. Just as God chose Jacob before he was born, he's chosen us before we were born. Just as God chose Jacob despite his sin, 
God chose us despite our sin. Turn with me please to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul uh, in this letter starts to the Ephesians by rattling off a catalogue of all the things that God has done for us in Christ. In verse 3 he says we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then for the next 10 or so verses he just lists blessing after blessing after blessing. And the first one Paul states is that we've been chosen. God chose us to be his people. And not just before we were born. He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. I'll read from verse 3 of chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Just like Jacob was chosen before he was born, Christians were chosen by God even before the creation of the world. Now, I've heard of forethought, planning ahead, thinking ahead, but this is ridiculous. Even before God made the world, he had his people chosen. And for us, like Jacob, it's not because we're special. We didn't sparkle brighter than anybody else. Once we came along, we were sinners, just like everyone else, heading for the wrath of God. But God chose us, and so he saved us from our sin. Uh, In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul speaks of the peoples of the world rebelling against God, a a sea of people fighting God. And Paul says to Christians in chapter 2 and verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we're dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. See, just as Jacob was woven into the people of God despite his sin, so too are we. We're sinners, but God, in his grace, in Christ Jesus, as the Lord and Master of all, hung dead on a cross, there God saved us annihilating our sin, dealing with it for good. So who gets the blessing of God today? Those God has chosen. Those God saves. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, it's because God chose you and God saved you. It's because of God, not you. And these truths bring with them in their train bucket loads of confidence god-given confidence not confidence in ourselves but confidence in our god who has chosen and saved us i've got three areas of christian confidence coming out of god's choice and salvation there's heaps more here's three to get us started first as christians we have confidence before god himself As Christians, we boldly approach the throne of God because his throne, it's a throne of grace. He chose us. He knew what sinners we would become and he still chose us and saved us from sin in Christ. And so our status as one of God's people, that is guaranteed by God himself. So no matter how depressed we feel, no matter how frustrated we are at our own sin, 
no matter how unsure we are of our own trust in God, no matter how troubled and fragile life may get, God chose us and God saved us. He's got me. He's got you. And so we have confidence before God himself. Secondly, as Christians, we have confidence as we share the gospel with people. We confidently talk to non-Christians about Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, well, not me. I'm not confident talking to people about Jesus. I'm usually scared and nervous. I don't expect people to respond to what I say. I'm not very good at it. I get my words all jumbled up. I don't make sense, and I think it's just better if I leave it to someone who knows what they're talking about. Now, the problem with this response is that we're looking for confidence within ourselves. But from what we've seen, people becoming Christians, that's up to God. And so our confidence is in him. I mean, God chose us even before he made the world. He chose his people before he fashioned the universe. And so he will save them. We just share the news of salvation and watch him in action. And so you might think, oh, you're not very good at talking to people about Jesus and you don't know what to say, but our confidence is in God. He's already chosen his people, so he will save them. And so we confidently share the gospel with people. Thirdly, we should have confidence in God's ongoing work in our lives. If he's chosen us from before the creation of the world, saved us at the price of the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ, he's not about to abandon us, is he? More of this next week, but we have confidence in what God will continue to do within us and among us. Because before the creation of the world, God chose us in Christ. From out of the mire and murkiness of our own sin, God has saved us in Christ. And so we've been saturated with confidence. Confidence before God, calling on him as our heavenly dad, and confidence sharing the gospel, because God will save his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace toward us. That even before you made the world, you, you, you had us chosen. Thank you that you sent your son to die in our place to save us from our sin. Father, you have done all things for us. You have made us your people. Thank you for the confidence that gives us to be your people, to live as your people, to talk to you, to share the news of your son with people. Father, thank you for being so good and gracious and merciful to us. And we pray that we would live gladly and confidently as your people in your world. Amen.